This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We'll live forever in my memory. Uh, and the silence on the pile when somebody would say quiet, like they heard something. And 5,000 workers would just go deathly quiet and then gradually work would resume and the buzz would continue. So it was uh, an experience that stays with you, like I said. Remembrances also took place at the Pentagon outside Washington at the site of the Flight 93 crash in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Well, today, as you know, is the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, a day that left an indelible mark on the history of this country as the deadliest terror attack ever on U.S. soil. Just moments ago, the commander in chief spoke to a group of first responders and their families. But this was not New York, not in Washington, not in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Right now, you are looking at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. That is in Anchorage, Alaska, and that was a first on this day. So why this stop from the commander-in-chief? Meanwhile, it was the Vice President Kamala Harris doing the traditional honors taking the president's place as she visited the National September 11th Memorial and Museum in Lower Manhattan. September 11th, 2001, 22 years later, coming up on the Hill. Plus, the California Governor Gavin Newsom weighing in on Senator Dianne Feinstein's health issues. And he says everything is okay. The staff is on top of it. Her staff is still extraordinarily active, uh, and we wish her only the best. Do you feel as if the staff is fulfilling, can do the duties? Yes. I don't think it. I know it. We're working extraordinarily closely you don't together. F- the staff running things. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, and thanks for being with us here on The Hill once again today. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. May Mailman, former Trump White House attorney. Kurt Bardella is a Democratic strategist and former GOP House Oversight Committee advisor. And Julia Manchester, of course, is the national political reporter for The Hill. Hello to you all. Welcome back here to The Hill, as we just mentioned. President Biden uh, just wrapped up in Anchorage, Alaska today on September 11th. He spoke moments ago, and the president mentioned his old-time colleague, the late Senator John McCain. One thing I always admired about John was how he put duty to country first. And that's not hyperbole. He did. Above party, above politics, above his own person. This day reminds us we must never lose that sense of national unity. So let that be the common cause of our time. Get to that soundbite in a second and what the president might have been speaking about there. But, Chris, September 11th, opening thoughts? Well, uh, 
we are ill-prepared always for the vicissitudes of history. If you would have talked to Americans in the summer of 2001, they would not have, almost no one would have said that the major concern that they were thinking about was international Islamist terrorism, right? Militant right. Islam was not something that they were talking about. If you would have talked to Americans uh, a month after September 11th, they would have forecast a totally different future than the one that we're living in now. Events change, things change. And what I am reminded of as an analyst, uh, as an American, is don't take things for granted. The trajectory of history and the tra trajectory of life changes in a moment. Julia, this was an interesting one for the president, right? Mm -hmm. For the first time in 20, 22 times now, we've, we've done this on September 11th. For the first time, the president didn't go to New York didn't go to the Pentagon, didn't go to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, wasn't at the White House. Instead today, at Alaska, coming home from the G20, and the White House was asked about this. Yeah, it was certainly a choice, and I think, you know, the White House is highlighting the fact that the administration is giving $4 million to the 9-11 Memorial Museum and Fund in New York City. There were Biden administration officials at a lot of the 9-11 landmarks, including Vice President Kamala Harris, who was at um, Ground Zero today, or the site of Ground Zero. But it's it's an interesting contrast to see, you know, Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis going to ground zero. Yeah, he was there. Um, and then, of course, Biden is in Alaska. Yeah, well, that's $4 million as compared to the $6 billion that they released today uh, to Iran. Right. Um, okay, start there, go. <laughs> no, I, I just think it's it's odd timing. And, and maybe with President Biden not showing up to one of these memorial sites, there, you know, you need to put maybe some distance between the memory that President Biden at least has built up around himself for September 11th, which was treating it as a fairly arbitrary deadline to withdraw from Afghanistan fairly uh, disastrous. So what May is referring to there, uh, the Associated Press is reporting that the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has signed off on a prisoner exchange, essentially five Americans in Iran in exchange for unfreezing $6 billion worth, Kurt, of Iranian frozen assets. Uh, the Associated Press reporting that the Secretary of State signed off on it last week, that Congress was informed about it today, and it brings up the question, um, why bring this up today? Yeah, it sounds like something you would do when you don't really want a lot of attention on it, since it is 9-11. Uh, I don't know how anyone can draw any other conclusion than this is not something they're looking to spend a lot of time talking about today. And uh, obviously, they're going to end up having to talk about it maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after. It'll certainly come under scrutiny. There'll certainly be a lot of opinions about it. I think it's I think it's weird that the president wasn't at one of the main places, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., who was in Alaska. I don't uh, I don't see how that makes a whole lot of sense to, 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 to forfeit a commander-in-chief moment. Uh, right. to Interesting to me <clears throat> is his invocation of John McCain. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden didn't serve in Vietnam. John McCain spent five years uh, as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Joe Biden didn't protest the Vietnam War. He wasn't opposed. Joe Biden, like Donald Trump, uh, avoided service uh, and then tried to sort of walk a middle ground on the issue that massively divided his party. I heard in the president some wistfulness uh, about having just been in Vietnam, having thought about what John McCain went through in Vietnam, his friend from the Senate, uh, and the tinges of a person later in life thinking about the choices that he made and what his life was like. Was, was it some of that or was it also some of he's running for the presidency again? He brought up national unity, John McCain needing to come together as a country and a 
possible he, shot at Donald Trump. Was there. he trolling Donald Trump? It's always possible. Joe Biden likes to troll Donald Trump. <laughs> right. But I, I saw something personal there, and I think that the the uh, U.S. president's visit to Vietnam in a very post, post, post Vietnam War space is another historical milestone that we're crossing today. All right. Well, as we remember 9-11, there are brand new questions, meantime, about another infamous moment in U.S. history, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The New York Times, with this headline over the weekend, quote, JFK witness breaks his silence and raises new questions. Now, the Times spoke with 88-year-old Paul Landis, one of the Secret Service agents just feet away from JFK when he was shot and killed. Landis, who was not interviewed by the Warren Commission, raises doubts about the magic bullet theory, the belief that a sole bullet struck both JFK and the Texas governor, John Connolly Jr. Joining us now is the presidential candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., of course, the nephew of JFK. Sir, thank you for being here with us uh, here on the Hill. Landis now saying that he is open to the idea that there might have been another gunman uh, beyond Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm sure you saw this story. I know you've commented on it. When you saw it over the weekend, what'd you make of it? Well, the thing that was interesting about this story to me was that the New York Times uh, ran it. I mean, the New York Times has been, you know, a, a staunch uh, I'd say high priest of the orthodoxy that, you know, the Warren Commission orthodoxy that was discredited almost immediately after the Warren Commission closed it or published its, its findings. In 1979, 15 years after the Warren Commission, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, after a one and a half year investigation, much more definitive and much more uh, uh, careful than the Warren Commission, looking at a lot more evidence and many, many more witnesses, concluded that my uncle was killed from a, by a conspiracy. Um, most of the people on that commission and on the staff believe that the CIA was behind that conspiracy. Oh, you know, that really uh, is the, the, the Warren Commission was almost immediately debunked. I, and I know, there have I know been that's, mountains I, and mountains of evidence since then um, that that support the House Select Committee's uh, uh, findings. So I know that's I know New that's York what Times you believe. Been, yeah, no, I, I know that's what you believe, and and we've heard your your position there, sir, uh, for quite some time. But I, I guess the the, the follow up is, you know, you believe that for quite some time. Are, we are, saw this headline are, now. What are comes you, next? Are you? Um, yeah, no, it's not what I believe. It's a fact. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying what the what what I just told you is a fact. That the how what the House Select Committee found. You know, that's a very easily discernible fact. It's not something that you know I am believing in. Uh, I don't know what happens now. I don't know. You know, I. I, I mean, as I said, the the big news is that the New York Times has finally finally open the door to a conclusion that the great majority of Americans made years and years ago based upon looking at the evidence. I know you're running for president, obviously. Uh, you're in New Hampshire. Uh, let's talk about the, the presidential race uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, you, of course, are running in the Democratic primary uh, against the sitting president of the United States, Joe Biden. He was overseas, as you know, this weekend uh, for the G20 summit. And there was a press conference afterwards. And I want to uh, get your reaction, sir, on the other side of this for sort of one moment that stuck out. Watch. He just hasn't shared with me. 
But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Who wasn't confrontational at all? So basically the president there said, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Uh, they then cut the press conference off after a handful of questions, which is what they said they were going to take. But it was clearly an odd moment there. Uh, you know, you're in North uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, I know you're running hard in South Carolina, too. Down there in South Carolina, Nikki Haley says a, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris. Is that what you believe? Well, I think, you know, the, the presidency is, the, is a rigorous job. It's, we are entering one of the most dangerous periods in our history. Um, we are at now at the brink of a war with uh, a superpower that has more than a thousand nuclear weapons, more than we do, and, and a better nuclear weapons arsenal than we have. And I think we need somebody who is in office that all Americans agree uh, is uh, up to the rigors of the job, that has the vigor to, uh, to lead our country during a very difficult time. I think the questions that have been raised in recent press conferences about uh, about the president's cognitive capacity that he should answer them and the way to answer them is to come out on the stump to have unscripted uh, encounters with voters to do town halls to do and you know and more than anything to do a debate with his opponent do you think other democrats that, should you know, do you think other democrats should jump in you know, I think the more people that are in, the better it is for our democracy. This is, this is supposed to be, you know, the Democratic Party. Right now, the DNC is making it almost impossible for anybody to run against the president. They've already, they are systematically disenfranchising the voters of all the states that, or many of the states that voted against President Biden during the last time around. So in New Hampshire, anybody who campaigns in New Hampshire, as I have, the people who vote for them, their vote will not count under the new DNC rules. The DNC this week is voting on a rule to make it so that if if you if any candidate who steps into the state of New Hampshire, that any vote cast for them in Georgia will not count. Georgia's 164 delegates. Right. So, um, and and the Democratic Party has been fo fighting for for voting rights in Georgia, for the citizens of Georgia, since I was a little boy, since the 1960s. And now, you know, the DNC is about to disenfranchise every voter in the state of Georgia. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem a good way to model democracy. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, we have to leave it there. Uh, thank you for the time. Come on back here to the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate it. Um, over to the panel real quick. Last thoughts, Chris. When you look at the polling right now, the reality for RFK Jr. is he's down 55. Uh, there was some name recognition right at the beginning, now down 55. Some some comments in the middle uh, that, that got a lot of folks upset with COVID and ethnic targeting. Where does the campaign for him go to here? Yeah, the, um, the allegations of anti-Semitism uh, against him for his claim that the coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus had been uh, designed to target 
uh, some ethnic groups, but to uh, not target ethnic Chinese and Ashkenazic Jews was, I think, the tipping point. Uh, Democrats <laughs> originally, uh, like the name ID, uh, Republicans like sticking Kennedy in Democrats' face. Hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? You got a primary, too. Why don't you listen to this guy? Then a bunch of Republicans liked what he had to say. Right. <laughs> then they were like, oh, actually, wait a minute. I, I'm digging this guy. As the Republicans embraced him, Democrats' awareness of who Kennedy was and what he was about grew, and his numbers went down. And I think the anti-Semitic remarks were sort of the last, the last way station. Yes. I mean, still, 67 percent of Democrats don't want to see Biden on the ticket. They're interested. It's, in it's a big problem for Democrats. Else, And so the RFK problem doesn't go away easily because, no, I mean, Marianne Williamson is, is even a less attractive candidate than RFK. This is a real derby. That's a real. I, yeah. So you've got those options. And, you know, if you're RFK, it's kind of unfortunate because the thing that, that voters see when they see Joe Biden is old. And when you look at RFK, he might be able to do lots of push-ups including with the shirt off or whatever. But they don't, I don't think, see youthfulness like they would. 69, I believe, would be 71 if, yeah. if elected. Yeah, Kurt. well, and again, I think the thing is, there might be a large amount of people who don't want to see Joe Biden on the ticket. They, they're sure not clamoring for RFK. Like, like there's no right. runway for him at this point. And when you're palling around with Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and going on Tucker Carlson and all that, that's not going to really endear you to the Democratic <laughs> primary voters. Right. All right, well, coming up, it's all good. The staff has it. Don't worry. Those were basically the comments from California's Governor Gavin Newsom over the weekend regarding Senator Dianne Feinstein. But when was the last time the staff appeared on a ballot? Do you remember that? The staff? We'll get into it coming up. Nation. Is it fair? Do you feel as if the staff is fulfilling can do the duties yes. i don't think and i know it we're working extraordinarily closely you don't together. feel as if the state's losing out by not having no. a more active voice uh, in maybe the, missing the town halls or more act but i you know senator padilla was just in the office a few days ago we were comparing contrast asking issues and advocacy and we're aligned with with feinstein in her office so that was the California Governor Gavin Newsom, of course, discussing his state's senior senator, Dianne Feinstein, her health issues. Chris, uh, it's all good. We've been discussing with Senator Padilla. The staff's on it. Everyone's good. California represented. Everything's kosher, right? Well, it's not new. We should we should point out it's not new for the extraordinarily elderly to continue to serve in the United States Congress it's, long after the sell-by date, whether it's Robert Byrd or Strom Thurmond, or we have a long bipartisan tradition uh, of the enfeebled continuing to hold these seats. Gavin Newsom's problem is what? He's got a bunch of his fellow Democrats running for her Senate seat. He's got a bunch of them. And it's getting ugly. It's getting dicey. And the, he does not want to be the one right. who anoints somebody to hold this seat. And it's, uh, he's, he, it's, not a, it's not a sufficient answer to say that the staff is doing yeah. it, but that's the political predicament that he's in. That, that is the political predicament. But if you're sitting home in California, staff's name wasn't on the ballot. Staff's name is not outside the office here uh, in, you know, in one of the big Capitol buildings. And he's just like, eh, staff, staff's got it. Yeah, no, it's true. But at the same time, it's not like Dianne Feinstein a year ago was a dynamic vote for uh, a, a 
involved in shaping policy to a great degree. We have a lot of bad senators. We have a lot of senators who represent their states poorly. And unfortunately, the way that Congress works today is leadership ordains things, and then people vote almost always on party lines. We have very few votes that are actually determinative, and you can get you what you can guarantee is that it's not Diane Feinstein's staff that's determining that vote. It's Chuck Schumer and the Democratic majority hmm. in the Senate. They call the shot and she votes with the party. California, former uh, communications director in, in California, you never appeared on a ballot, did you? I, I, no, I did not. Uh, <laughs> this you is, would do great. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure I would do great. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Having the largest state of the union, having the a senator that represents that many people basically reenact some version of Weekend at Bernie's every day is freaking ridiculous and insane. The voters of California deserve better. Everyone acting in the Senate like, well, this is business as usual. The staff runs the show. That's not how it's supposed to work. It may be how it's always worked, but that's not how it's supposed to work. And as, as just regardless of party, Democrat, Republican, you cannot sit there, look at this person, go, yeah, this person's all there. They should be taking and casting votes about national security, about finance, about the economy, about things that... Well, Gavin Newsom people. is suggesting she isn't. It's the staff. Yeah, and, and that's a stupid answer, frankly, because no one elected these people. They have no right to be acting as if they are the senator for California. Their names have never appeared on a ballot, and it is, it, it is ludicrous and insane that this is happening right now. Well, I love this shot against the deep state, so I'm, I'm, here, I'm, I'm here for that. But I do agree that generally our politics is so partisan that it almost doesn't matter who's sitting in the chair, like a staff could do it. Although if Senator Feinstein would like to hire me, that would also be fine. You'd but have some different I'd have, we, we can really make some changes in California. Um, you know, that said, I'm reminded of when J.D. Vance and Senator Fetterman came together to sign a bipartisan, or not sign, but proposed bipartisan legislation to address East Palestine. If I'm somebody in Pennsylvania, I'm like, okay, this is a J.D. Like, who actually did mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And so there are sometimes circumstances where I'm going to agree with Kurt. Like, you actually do need a person where you've got these specific type of bipartisan, state-specific matters. Interesting. All right, well, coming up. He says we regulate planes, food, and pharma, so now we should regulate AI. How would you do that? We'll ask one of the senators leading that charge coming up here on The Hill right after the break. If I would have kept making only the minimum payments on my credit cards, my debt would have taken me 47 years to pay off. These are real National Debt Relief customers. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out of debt by myself. Credit card, medical, or personal loan debt? National Debt Relief negotiates with your creditors to reduce what you owe. National Debt Relief got me out of debt. You could be debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months. Visit NationalDebtRelief.com to learn more and get started. NationalDebtRelief.com. She was five. I saw her at 73. Nobody else had concerns. She wasn't participating and slept mostly. Her mom listened to her gut and brought her in. They assumed the reason was her dementia. Mom was right. Her daughter couldn't hear high frequencies. Instead, it was a profound hearing loss. And after helping her, educationally, she just took off. She's participating in life again. Find an ASHA-certified audiologist today at asha.org public. If I would have kept making only the minimum payments on my credit cards, my debt would have taken me 47 years to pay off. These are real National Debt Relief customers. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out of debt by myself. 
credit card, medical, or personal loan debt, National Debt Relief negotiates with your creditors to reduce what you owe. National Debt Relief got me out of debt. You could be debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months. Visit NationalDebtRelief.com to learn more and get started. NationalDebtRelief.com. Where can the skills you learn with ham radio take you? Amateur radio, often called ham radio, is the place where today's engineers got their start. Ham radio is more popular than ever before. With hands-on training in electronics, engineering, and digital communications, modern hams interface computers and radios in entirely new ways. Ham radio in the 21st century can take you around the world or into a whole new career. Learn more. Go to ARRL.org. Join us. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council Thanks to generous community support, Wounded Warrior Project has helped post-9-11 veterans and their families since 2003. Through no-cost physical and mental health services, legislative advocacy, career assistance, and life skill training, we're there every step of the journey. It's possible to feel understood. To get support when it's needed most. And now I know anything is possible. And we're just getting started. Learn more at woundedwarriorproject.org slash possible. You're listening to The Hill on News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you, as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Pass it on. Here's a short quiz. Who won Best Actress last year? Who won the World Series two years ago? And finally... Name your favorite teacher. Now, I'm guessing that the last question was the easiest. Why is that? Because that person made a difference in your life. So, go ahead and make a difference. Because making a difference is in you. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com Babes, what are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember... Smokey Bear says, Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. AM radio provides always-on news, sports, talk, traffic, and weather reports. And it's also a vital service that provides important emergency information when your community needs it most. Tell Congress you need AM radio to stay in your car. Because when cell phones and the Internet are down, this free emergency service is critical. And when you don't have electricity, radio in the car is often your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 
Welcome back to The Hill on News Nation. The New York City mayor, Eric Adams, says his city is in the middle of a crisis as New York is overwhelmed by thousands of migrants who have recently arrived in the Big Apple. Here he was warning about what could happen next in his city. Watch. We're getting no support on this national crisis, and we're receiving no support. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Joining us now, Republican Congressman from New York, Congressman Anthony D'Esposito. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate the time, as always. You just uh, heard Eric Adams there. He says it is going to destroy New York City. I'm guessing you don't agree with Eric Adams on much, but is he right there? Yeah, I don't agree with uh, Mayor Adams on much, but uh, I think it already has begun to destroy our city. How so? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, the, the day-to-day of, uh, of New York City, the quality of life, uh, the, the pressure that uh, public safety is under, uh, the fact that real estate is plummeting, uh, stores don't want to open because people don't want to travel to and from the city. Um, it's just everything that uh, everyone has loved about New York City for so long uh, is tragically coming to an end. I mean, if there's ever a time that uh, we could say the lights are going out on Broadway, this is certainly the time. It, it seems drastic. Um, it it seems, you know, you're saying it and the mayor's saying it. So I, I hear it from both sides, the left and the right. But but I, I got to imagine there's folks listening to this saying, come on, like this ain't the end of New York City. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the numbers and, and how many migrants are coming into this city and, you know, uh, perhaps this is the, one of the few things that uh, Mayor Adams and I do agree on. Uh, but when you, when you rewind back uh, over a year ago when when the mayor uh, was campaigning and, and there were talks of, of the the issues happening at the southern border, he touted the fact that New York City was a sanctuary city when, in fact, there was actually no plans in place from the administration to actually welcome these migrants into New York. Uh, let Let's be very clear. I am someone who believes that people should have the opportunity to achieve the American dream. All I say is that you need to come through the front door. And what we're seeing now is blame, we're seeing people do you, flooding. Do you, blame, uh, do you blame Greg Abbott at all, the, the, the governor in, in Texas? Because you just saw that stat there. Over 13,500 migrants have been bused to New York City uh, in basically the last 13 months. You say it's destroying the city. Uh, is the Republican from Texas partly to blame? Well, listen, I, I've said this from the beginning. I think that when you're elected to office, you are elected because people believe in you to find solutions to problems. And, and while I don't, uh, you know, wholeheartedly agree that New York City should be this uh, this dumping ground, um, you know, the the governor in uh, in Texas uh, found solutions to the problems that he's faced. Uh, he never said that uh, he was a sanctuary city, while there's others in blue states throughout the country who, again, uh, touted the fact that they were welcoming people with open arms when, in fact, uh, there was no plan in place. And now the mayor has called on a 5% decrease uh, across budgets for, for all city agencies. Uh, and I believe he said it's one now, one in a few months, and one in a few months from there. So we're looking at a 15% cut uh, yeah. in, in departments throughout the city. And that's public safety. That's uh, our building department. These are uh, now resources taken away from hardworking, taxpaying New Yorkers. Congressman, I mentioned you're from New York, of course. Uh, you sit on the Homeland Security Committee. We know what, what day today is. Uh, I'm wondering, as, as, as you sit there um, today on September 11th, as a member of the Homeland Security Committee, what would you tell your constituents and folks around the country as to the security and safety and threats 
that we face right now? What should we know? I think that uh, we need to understand that uh, while we've been very lucky here in the United States of America, uh, and there's so many uh, agencies, uh, intelligence agencies and, and law enforcement agencies that have kept us safe and thwarted attacks, uh, we need to remain on our toes because the facts uh, are real in that um, you know there are people that want to destroy the United States of America. We have... Um, you know, nations that uh, clearly uh, look at uh, America as their enemy. And listen, you know, we see uh, the the overwhelming uh, increase of migrants coming across our southern border. The, the number of gotaways increases uh, daily. And uh, we don't know those people that are coming across uh, the southern border. We've been, uh, you know, we have seen where um, uh, terrorists have uh, have been caught coming across our border, but there are many that we don't know about. So yeah. we need to remain on our toes. We need to make sure uh, that uh, we keep those eyes and ears open, and we need to make sure as a federal government and the Homeland Security Committee make sure that they provide every resource necessary uh, to law enforcement agencies, uh, not only the big ones like the NYPD, yeah. but even the smaller ones in local counties All and right. states to make sure that we work together cooperatively uh, to make sure we keep each other safe. Congressman D'Esposito uh, from New York. Thank you, sir. Uh, come on back. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Yeah, Julie, I thought it was interesting to hear. He, I think he sort of, sort of laid out the problem, right, uh, for the Biden administration here. You've got Democrats and Republicans right. basically saying the exact same thing here. And in this case, they're pointing the finger in part at the president. Yeah, and it's always been really a no-win for Joe Biden at this point, and I'm curious to see how it plays in 2024, because remember, Republicans were really trying to elevate this issue in 2022. I think you could say that maybe, in a way, um, Democrats were able to you know, hit back at that with the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the abortion issue, but we don't know how that's going to play this coming election cycle. And when you have senators, not only from border states, Democratic senators like Mark Kelly, but also yeah. Maggie Hatch from New Hampshire, blue state, uh, red state or purple state Democrats calling attention to this. That's a big deal. All right. Speaking of senators, there's also new insights into how Americans think artificial intelligence will influence our next election. In a new poll, 54 percent of Americans say AI will impact who wins. And one third say they will trust the results of the race less because of it. Meantime, technology's biggest names are set to arrive in Washington this week for a major AI conference. Gates, Musk, Zuckerberg, you know those names. Sam Altman, head of ChatGPT. Uh, they will all give their thoughts on how to regulate artificial intelligence. The Colorado Democratic Senator Michael Bennett is also focused on how to regulate AI and has presented legislation that would create a new regulator for the technology. And he joins us live uh, up on Capitol Hill. Senator Bennett. Thank you for being here uh, on the Hill. You're going to be inside that meeting. I guess all 100 senators will be. Gates, Musk, uh, Zuckerberg. What do you want to hear from them on this? Well I, well, I think it's less what I want to hear from them than what I would like to tell them, which is that the American people want to have a freaking negotiation with these guys. You know, they, we have not had a negotiation on data. We haven't had a negotiation on privacy. We haven't had a negotiation on our economics. And that's even before you get to artificial intelligence. That's just the social media companies themselves. I spent an hour and a half on Friday. I'm a former school superintendent. I spent an hour and a half on Friday with school psychologists in Denver. And I can tell you something. They couldn't even get to their patients because they were spending the hour and a half talking about 
how their kids have been so negatively affected by by social media, even before artificial intelligence. But, but you say you say you want to you say you want to negotiate. Yeah, you say you want a negotiation with them. I, you know how this works, Senator. These are the biggest heads of the biggest companies. Why would they negotiate with Congress on this, and what can you actually do about it? Well, I think any time you've had industries that have been the biggest, you know, most gigantic industries in our country, you know, there's always been a reaction to that. You remember back in the progressive era when the, the massive trust looked like they had completely strangled Congress, you know, and ripped these marble pillars down, and Congress finally stood up on behalf of the American people. That's what we're going to have to have again here. These guys are just going to take and take and take until they get pushback from the American people, and that pushback is going to come, I hope, from the halls of Congress if people are listening to their constituents the way that I'm hearing from mine, that have, that have especially in the wake of COVID, they're, they're coming out of this faced with massive uh, mental health challenges for their kids, and we've done nothing to legislate in this so, area. I think so, a very good step would be to have an FCC, an agency like that, that's dedicated to uh, social media and artificial so there's, intelligence. So there's clearly concern, Senator, uh, from the American public about what AI could potentially do for elections. You are, of course, Democrat, backing President Joe Biden for re-election. I want you to listen uh, to the president from earlier today. Get your reaction on the other side. Those terrorists could not touch what no force, no enemy, no day ever could. And that is the soul of America. Let's see. I'm just following my orders here. That was the president uh, press conference in in Vietnam, which has raised a lot of questions. When you look at the polling, Senator, 58 percent say they have an unfavorable impression of him. Forty five percent say that the president cares about people like them. Less than 50. A third describe him as someone that they are proud to have of as president. Um, Do you got a problem at the top of the ticket on the Democratic side? Well, I just ran for re-election myself in a state that is a purple state in this country, about a third Republican, a third Democratic, and a third Independent. And I can tell you that in that state, people were very relieved to put the chaos of Donald Trump behind us. They're gratified by the accomplishments of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the semiconductor legislation. It's the first bill since Ronald Reagan was our president and shipped everything to Southeast Asia to bring stuff back here to be manufactured here in Colorado they were extremely but is, but, but is that the argument the that plays that senator like we we hear it from the white house but you see the polling also well i can i, I see the last election when we in we should have been wiped out in a mid-year election and we obviously we gained seats even in the senate i think it was partly a result of the accomplishments that i was just listing and partly the result of the fact that the other party has had a 50-year crusade uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade. And now the American people are saying that's not a road we want to go down. Obviously, the president is going to have to prosecute this campaign vigorously. He's going to have to campaign vigorously for this seat. And this country desperately needs to not have Donald right. Trump reelected. Um, and right. so uh, I, think that, uh, I think that's where we find ourselves. Senator Michael Bennett, State of Colorado. Uh, Thank you, sir. Hope you come on back. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, you got it. Chris, is that the argument 
there. Um, don't look at the numbers. Look at what happened in 2022 in abortion, and, and that'll, that is a harbinger, really, for 24. we got a state election coming up in Virginia. will tell us a lot about okay. what the condition of voters is. But I want to say, juxtapose the Dianne Feinstein story with then the argument that Congress is going to regulate, regulate AI. Um, uh, AI and that Congress yeah. is ready to take on these companies and do this. And I would also say Elon Musk has lost money hand over fist at Twitter. Uh, the tech sector has gotten crushed. Facebook or Meta has laid all these people off. All of this stuff is bad. I understand why tech companies are a convenient boogeyman for politicians in both parties. These problems and these kids. But you know what? Simple solutions and scaremongering about this kind of stuff do not produce results. It's a, it's good talking points. It makes people feel good. But the the Senate of Dianne Feinstein does not look to me like an entity look, that is prepared to have a comprehensive, forward-looking yeah. uh, legislation. They were, they were clearly late and behind to the Internet, right? Like yes. Congress, Congress <laughs> missed a, a little thing tubes. called the Internet. A and series of So uh, the, the flip to that, I guess, would be like at least you got to try to give them credit for getting ahead of AI. To your point, though, the question is, can Congress put its hands around? But AI? will it be worse? Like, will the right. the congressional solution, whatever it is, be worse than whatever problem we're going to have? Because I'm reminded of the Biden administration telling Twitter what to take down on Twitter. Yep. Twitter pushing back, and Twitter is 98 percent donations to Democrats. I mean, this is a, like the, the the regulation was more partisan than the the partisan company itself. So I, I just think back to back in the day when you know Lamar Smith uh, was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and they were started to regulate, try to regulate the internet and tech. And this is a guy who used a fax machine every day and had no idea what he was doing. It's like these are the people right. that are going to now regulate AI. They're trying to get their hands around it. All right, well, coming up. <laughs> comforting. We'll scroll up. A looming <laughs> auto strike just days away, and up to 150,000 workers could hit the picket line. How one of the big three automakers turned to college football, football in general, really, over the weekend to send a message. Watch. There are people who say things aren't made here anymore. Those people should come to Michigan or Kentucky or Missouri, where you'll find Ford workers not just assembling vehicles, but building the future of automotive manufacturing. It's why Ford employs the most hourly auto workers in this country. Can't speak for the other guys. All right. So as you might know, the United Auto Workers Union is set to strike in almost three days. These ads, Kurt, probably not a coincidence, right? I mean, like as I saw it, I was thinking to myself, it feels like they're trying to get out ahead of something potentially really bad here, and it almost makes you wonder what's, how bad it is behind closed doors. Oh, you have to imagine behind closed doors, it's a bare-knuckle brawl going on, really shaping up to be. And an ad like that, again, it's like, and the timing of it, running it during, you know, football time in America, like, that's not by accident, that's by design. And they're absolutely trying to get ahead of framing their side of the story before things start hitting the fan. Okay, so the the back and forth, um, the auto worker union, the auto workers. Here are the demands, or at least what they're trying to get at this point in time. And over forty percent pay raise. I think it's actually something like forty six percent. A thirty two hour work week, a reinstatement of traditional pensions for new hires, representation at ten electric vehicle battery facilities. What's at stake here, May? I mean, obviously that you know, if if you live in that area, you have one of these jobs. Um, it, it's a big deal for you. But here in Washington as well, 
this is a big deal for the White House that's tried to get front and center on this one. Right. So President Trump has already come out and said, hey, you know, union workers, why don't you come vote for me? I don't really know if that's going to, you know, if that's going to fly, but it's certainly going to be tempting. I, you know, are they going to get 32-hour work week? Are they going to get a 46% pay raise? I kind of doubt it. Like these companies, yeah, that can't, seems like a, they can't opening. afford it. The the average new price for a car right now is over $48,000. You can only increase costs so much, and they say, well, why don't you, you know, cut CEO salaries? Okay, these CEOs each make about $20 million, including in stocks or whatever. If you were to spread that among the 50,000 workers, that's $400 one time. What's that going to get you? So I, I really don't see where these demands are going to go. Uh, President Biden wanted a uh, a revitalization of labor unions he in America, it. and he's got it. He's, yeah. got it. he's got it in Detroit, and he's got it in Hollywood. Yeah. And as the strike continues uh, out there, we will see consequences as people's favorite shows are not available, and those things are stacking up. And if the price of cars goes up, uh, Detroit, we have to remember, was bankrupt yep. not too long ago, right? It was not too, too long ago that Detroit was bankrupt. Everybody but Ford went under, needed rescued by the federal government, all of that stuff. Uh, the margins here are pretty small. And as you say, American consumers know how much more expensive American autos are than foreign competitors as it is. So even if you want to choose to buy American, as Ford wants you to do, you're going to pay a substantial premium over foreign competitors. Yeah, and just to piggyback on what Chris said, this is President Biden is someone who's tied himself, like any Democrat, but particularly yeah. Joe Biden, so closely to the unions. And it comes at a time where he's trying to tout what he says is the strength of the American economy, lowering unemployment under his administration the comeback from COVID. This is the last thing he needs right now, and he's truly could be caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, May, you mentioned the, the average price of a vehicle, $48,000. The former head of Ford, Mark Fields, came out last week, basically said you need to make $100,000 to be able to afford the average car in this country right now. A seven, far cry from the Model T, a far uh, yeah, cry from seven, Henry $760 bucks a month, basically, by the time you factor in interest and all that. And you got to wonder, if that's the case, and you're running on Bidenomics and the economy, how how both those two square? Can you square those two or no? No. And this is why the whole, I think the Biden, Bidenomics, whatever, it's stupid. Like, because no one, like, like, listen, and I'm a Democrat. Let me just say, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat strategist. I'm team Biden LA. This isn't going to work because no one in real America, in real life, is feeling any way that the economy is working for them right now. It's just, that's just the reality of it right now, man. All right. Well, coming up, stories that caught our eye, including a NASA astronaut setting a U.S. record that is out of this world. Wednesday on News Nation. Former Vice President Pence makes his case to all America, taking your questions live in a News Nation town hall. The News Nation town hall, Mike Pence, live Wednesday on News Nation. Welcome back to The Hill. Before we say a goodbye, here's some other stories that caught our eye. Uh, New Mexico, Chris, the governor there, an emergency health order, emergency uh, public health order on Friday involving guns. And this has gotten 
bigger and bigger and bigger since then. Set the stage. I, I don't want to be a downer uh, on Monday for what caught our eye, but this is a big story, and this is really important. There is a lawlessness. There is a trend toward lawlessness in American government and public life. And what Michelle Lujan Grisham has is doing in New Mexico is she's going to suspend. She said the constitutional rights aren't absolute, and her oath to of office was not absolute. And she is going to exert her power to take away to take away people's carry uh, open their ability to carry right. guns openly in New Mexico. Then she said, and it'll probably get challenged in court. We know right. it's going to get challenged in court, but we've got to do something. There is not a lot of difference between what she's doing there and what Donald Trump talks about with we got to suspend the Constitution so that we can do what we want. We have to return to being a creedal nation where we are bound by our oaths to the Constitution, by the standards that it set. And I understand why Democrats want gun control. I understand why all of this stuff. But we are playing a dangerous game when it comes to saying that we can violate the Constitution when it suits our interests or our desires. This is totally unacceptable. And it's a trend that will continue in both parties until voters say it's enough. Well, and it puts law enforcement in New Mexico in a really yes. awkward situation. You're actually hearing some sheriffs saying, look, I want to you know, follow what the governor is saying, but I took an oath to the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. Governor, the governor, the sheriffs there, are ba- it's the, there are local sheriffs there who are basically saying, essentially, like, no to the governor. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go about doing, uh, you know, life as it was, May. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to your both parties' point, it reminds me when I was in the White House and there was an emergency on the southern border and there was a desire from mostly non-lawyers to say, well, declare an emergency and do something as if there's some sort of secret power Magic that's powers, un- yeah. unlocked. And I think it's something that the American people don't really understand, that there isn't this suspend the Constitution power, right. but maybe our high school uh, civics classes <laughs> should be reintroducing <laughs> that lesson. All right, by the way, before we go, uh, kudos to Frank Rubio. NASA astronaut, did you hear about this? He has now been up in space for exactly one year. He's the first American for that uh, to be the case. He's one of only six people to have spent a year in space. Frank Rubio, congrats and good on you. Thank you all for being here for The Hill on News Nation. We'll do it again tomorrow, uh, 5 o'clock Eastern. Until then, Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. A dangerous killer is still on the run tonight, and he's slipping by police as they struggle to catch up. Danilo Cavalcante appearing seven. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.